Welcome to Authentic Health Fridays on The Jason Wright Show. This segment empowers you to reclaim control over your well-being and live a life aligned with your body's natural design. I am thrilled to guide you through insightful conversations and practical advice, all geared towards helping you achieve the vibrant and balanced life you deserve. In this dynamic series, we have the privilege of tapping into the expertise of a true visionary in the field of health and wellness, Dr. Gus Vickery, the founder of Authentic Health, located in the scenic heart of Asheville, North Carolina, is more than just a renowned author and speaker. He's a beacon of wisdom in the world of precision medicine and integrated health. Each episode, Dr. Vickery will be your trusted companion on a journey to unlock the secrets of authentic health. Drawing from his extensive knowledge and expertise, he'll share invaluable tools, tips, and information to guide you in understanding your body's unique needs and embracing the principles of precision medicine. All right, before we get started, folks, I just wanted to kind of give a little bit of a lead in here. So generally what Gus and I do on Authentic Health Fridays, what we've been doing is we've been kind of treating these episodes as building blocks, starting with gut health all the way through molecules and supplements, and then some mindfulness and breath work, and just kind of building upon the foundations of health that Dr. Gus has determined are the the best building blocks and protocols for his patients. And he has seen thousands of them and helped them to start to manage their health in what he describes as an authentic way. He literally tries to manage all of his patients' health based upon the way they were designed. And so a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast are are very basic they may sound complex there is some science to it obviously i mean it's medicine but at the end of the day the primary goal is for gus and i to bring you tips and strategies that are precisely designed to help you improve your health based on your body's in particular your body's cellular design but today i wanted to go over something to kind of take us into a, a to kind of level up a little bit for this conversation and Dr. Gus indulged me. He really would not have been talking about bioregulatory peptides today or at this stage of the Authentic Health series, but I asked him if he wouldn't mind going into it, and here's why. One, the very first time I ever had Dr. Gus on the show, we discussed bioregulatory peptides, and I knew absolutely nothing about them at the time. It was recommended by our mutual friend, James Quandall, that he come on the show and talk about it because... Uh, Gus has uh, been, I mean, he's kind of like one of the early adopters of these peptides as a way to help people with longevity and restorative and regenerative health. And I've been trying to really get back into them and research them and understand how they're going to be applied to my protocol. Because one of the things that Dr. Gus and I are going to do whenever we go into, I think I'm going to start January of next year on my mission to stay below 50 biologically for as long as possible. And most likely based on my test results and my, my, uh, my biometrics, there's going to be some peptides involved. And so I've been researching them more and it's just really, it's, it's quite remarkable and fascinating what these peptides can do for our bodies. So I asked Dr. Gus, if we could just kind of divert from our normal uh, sequence of, uh, of, of shows and talk about 
bioregulatory peptides so that you guys could start researching for yourself and see if it's something that you want to explore as you go through your uh, slowing the aging process or whatever it is that you're trying to optimize for. And then also next year, if I end up, which I most certainly will, I, I feel quite confident that I will end up taking some of these peptides, then you will kind of get a better understanding of why um, I, I, I decided to uh, deploy those. Now, here's another thing I would highly recommend you do. If you're just listening to this episode for the first time, go back. Just go to iTunes uh, or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and scroll up. I think I've got most every one of these titled AHF for Authentic Health Friday. So just go to the first one that you see and start listening going forward. If you subscribe to the Vitruvian letter, my personal newsletter, then I actually catalog these episodes so that you can go to one spot. I need to put together some other type of catalog where you can go and easily access them, maybe on the website. That's probably what I'll do next is just put them on a, on a, 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 a have a page just for this series so that you can go and listen to these because they're literally like master classes on health for you to start right now. I don't care what stage of the game you you're 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 in for with with regard to your health if you will listen to what dr gus and i are talking about and start applying some of these practices again this does not establish a medical relationship Um, we're not giving you medical advice you need to always run every single thing you hear on the show by your own personal physician but dr gus is a seasoned physician particularly one that's uh, steeped in the knowledge of precision health so we're giving you all these tools and tactics that can really really help you move the needle naturally toward better health so check out these episodes i really think you'll find them beneficial and without further ado Welcome to another episode of Authentic Health Friday with Dr. Gus Vickery. Thank you so much for listening. All right, before we get started, folks, I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of a heads up here. I am at Dr. Gus. We're back for another Authentic Health Friday. How are you doing, brother? I am doing wonderful. And it's good to be back with you after we took a little break for our Thanksgiving weeks with our families, which we were just discussing. So I'm, I'm very happy to be back, but I was very happy to... Take it, take the day off while my family was in town. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. We ended up, uh, there's this place that you and uh, Evie, next time you're in Fort Worth, if you want to take a quick trip down to Dallas, uh, this uh, restaurant called Town Hearth has become one of our favorites. Well worth the trip. They have some of the best, you know, and I always tell people, Jim Lynn and I, we're not snobby about many things. So uh, I'll try, try not to be snobby about anything, but I will fully admit I'm a snob about two things, coffee and food. And, and so if I tell you that a restaurant is good, then that means it's pretty doggone good. So the next time you're in the Lone Star State, you may want to drive over to Dallas and maybe we can meet you there and go over to uh town Hearth for some, for some good stuff. So that's, that's one. I really that. Yeah, it, it is fun. You know, we we're talking about how, um, now you're getting to see what I've been going through for the past year, which is the girls are off away from home. And when they come home, it's so special. So I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad you got to feel that, um, that just, I don't know, there's, there's just something about getting to have those babies home. You don't take them, uh, you don't get them just that, get that, get to take for granted every day. You're going to see them or whatever. And so I'm glad y'all had that time. Yeah, it was a wonderful time. I, um, just, uh, I delighted in the experience of it. And, um, again, all of it, it's just good stuff. You're blessed when you have a healthy family and you can all be together and also over a period of time where most people pause to rest and eat and, and be thankful. Yep. Yep. And we do have so much to be thankful for. You know what? Today, talk about being thankful. Dude, I interviewed a guy from Tel Aviv 
this morning. How and and I told him that he's he's in Tel Aviv, so he's not. I mean, other than the fact that he's in Israel, he's not like down in the the southern part near Gaza where all the the mayhem is happening. But I said, you know, it, this is really amazing. And it, it, given what all is going on in the world, in particular, exactly where you are, the fact that we can still do a podcast interview is pretty amazing. So talking about things to be thankful for, it's just really a shame, Gus, that we are truly living in the greatest moment of the human experience ever. And so many people are so upset. And that was one of those moments where I was like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe I'm getting to talk to someone in Israel right now in the midst of a war. Um, these truly are remarkable times. And I just wish that more people really realized just how good we all have it. Did y'all record a podcast? Yes. Yes. And then who is this person? Who were you interviewing? Ori Karen. He is the founder of a company called Linear B. I believe that's right. Uh, it's a uh, software platform that um, that does basically R&D assessment. So if you're uh, doing R and primarily for the software industry, so if you're creating, if you're designing a new software, you have to pour a lot of R&D dollars into it. What their software platform does is kind of help remove the bottlenecks and make sure that you are meeting your targets and you're not dwindling your potential ROI. Essentially, it, it's uh, it's able to evaluate your software and kind of let you know whether you're on a potentially profitable track or maybe you need to ratchet back. It was really cool. And we just talked about entrepreneurship and found he, this is the first company he's founded. He comes from a, a long, successful career um, in uh, software engineering. And so it was really- How did you, uh, how did you find this guest? His uh, publicist, his agent that um, that reached out and asked if I would interview him and i looked at his background and thought this looks like a cool guy and doing some cool things and turns out i was exactly right he was really cool it was a great conversation and um yeah man and he's in freaking tel aviv i mean is that not insane that's wild <laughs> well, what time did you interview him texas time it was 10 o'clock texas time and i didn't even have the decent the good the good sense or decency to figure out what time it was there. I wonder what time it was in Tel Aviv, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> but he was very alert and he was in his office. So um, so hopefully it wasn't too much of a uh, a difference for him to uh, to do it. But I, but anyway, yeah, I just, I was sitting there and, he, and it's funny, before he got on, we were talking about the war and, and everything that's going on. And it really wasn't until we started the conversation that it really just hit me like a ton of bricks. Are you kidding me? I am getting to interview someone not just on the other side of the world but in freaking israel in the middle of a war it's just it just kind of blew my mind there for a second so yeah had that going we do take a lot for granted that's for sure yeah i mean and that's that's kind of that's what i'm getting at dude i mean it is truly just an amazing time to be a human being and i think that's part of the problem i know this isn't the topic of today's show or anything but that's I think that's part of the problem is we don't have enough struggle that uh, that we can't help. So I think there's a lot of people out there that just make stuff up to be angry about. They create struggle. We know we're made for, you know, to be resilient. We know we're made to overcome struggle. We know the value of it. Um, I think this 
think a lot of people, instead of just stopping, I think people are almost afraid to stop and go, wait a minute, life's pretty doggone good. It's yeah. pretty good. And there's almost like this, I think it's almost so good for some people that they feel guilty and assume that something's got to be really wrong in the world and they need to go fix it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a spirit of discontent. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency in humans, all of us to, and it's something we need to recognize and try to grow out of it. This goes right into mindset stuff, stress, emotional health of wanting to blame either ourselves or other people, right? The things that in our life that we feel like aren't going the way we wish they were. And sometimes maybe it is, you know, somebody ran into your car, right? <laughs> and so yeah. then it, there's a fault there, or maybe there are things and ways that you drop the ball and you know it. And so you feel bad about that. But most of the time that like the solution is not in persecuting yourself or persecuting other people, right? Yeah. For the problems that you see in this world. It's about, you know, for personally in my belief, it's about getting your eyes on God in heaven, receiving grace from him and taking the next step forward in life, right? With if, And if you did something that you need to, uh, make amends for or to, or just self-correct, you didn't really hurt anybody, but you self yourself, you set yourself back, then you do it, right? You okay. take that step in that direction. And even if other people have hurt you, forgive them and move on. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah, it's just amazing. And if people could do that, if the whole world could do that, a lot of this vitriol and anger and divisiveness and splitting people up according to their you know, tribes and races, all that would just go away. I agree. I, I wondered, I always thought how cool it would be like while we're the big debate going on with regard to what's happening in the Middle East is this ceasefire that everybody wants to see. And I was like, what if everybody just decided globally on like social media, on people they've been harboring anger and bitterness toward on everybody, everybody, we just had a global ceasefire of, mm -hmm. of hate, whatever, what would that look like? And, you know, the only thing that I think can really make that happen is bioregulating peptides. <laughs> yeah, which is so good that we're talking about this. I think, I think that, I think it would do whatever it all comes down to it. At the end of the day, bioregulating peptides are the answer. And so it's, uh, it's, it's good that we're going to be talking about bioregulating peptides. And so just so the audience knows, I asked a favor of Gus on today's show, because we were kind of, we're, we're moving in a very much a building block approach on the authentic health Fridays as to, so that you guys, you listen to these episodes. And if you just start from episode one and work your way forward, then it, it makes sense kind of like in an order of priority or whatever. But I personally needed to scratch my curiosity itch and to dig a little bit further on bioregulating peptides, which by the way, is what brought Dr. Gus and I together, our very first episode, when I knew nothing about them, our mutual friend, uh, James Quandall said, you need to talk to Dr. Gus, especially, and, and make sure you ask him about bioregulating peptides, because you were early to the game as far as an understanding of, of these, of these peptides and what, what, what kind of a difference they can make, especially for people like me who are trying to slow the aging process and just trying to age well. And so that's what you and I talked about, but I was so ignorant about them at the time as I am about uh, many things that I don't know that my questions were that good. I don't, I, as curious as I was, I don't think I had been, I had really, you know, dived deep enough into uh, some of the things that we now 
just kind of talk about casually. So thank you for indulging me and giving me a tutorial. And for those of you who haven't heard my first conversation with Gus on this topic, go back and listen to it. But hopefully this one will be even better because I think my questions will be better. So I appreciate that, Gus. How long ago was that conversation? Man, it's been over a year. It's been you, a my year. daughter was interviewing for colleges. And of course, when yeah. I ended up out in Boulder, that's how we became closer mm -hmm. than just simply doing a podcast together. Um, that had to be like early fall, maybe yeah. of, uh, well, no, like, oh, yeah, I guess so. But no, their applications. I don't, I know it was really cold and they went, I think uh -huh. it had to be winter of the year before. That's when she would have been going to colleges. So two years ago? Yeah, not that it matters that much to the audience, but just amazing to me how time has passed, right? How much has changed since then? She's in college halfway through her freshman year now. Your daughter graduated college <laughs> and fully recovered from her ACL surgery. And That's right. Yeah, and yeah, and here we are, like, a couple of years later, feeling like, you know, you were like, you are literally one of my best friends and I feel incredibly close to you. Yeah. I know it. It's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy, man, how it works. Well, and again, in the season of thanks, I am very thankful for your brotherhood and your friendship, my man. So, uh, I'd say that it's been a good couple of years. Yeah, did I? Yeah. And in tribute to our desire today to saw to, you know, to promote a platform of world peace, we should pivot back to the bioregulatory peptides that have the potential. That <laughs> I'm telling you, the better you feel, the more peaceful you are, the more joy you have. We just get everybody feeling healthy and yep. living, living a life of, of good health, good nutrition, then, um, it would be a better world. So, okay. So Here's what, I'm just going to tell you what bioregulating peptides are, Dr. Gus, just real simple. Bioregulating peptides are short chains of amino acids that play a crucial role in regulating various biological processes within the body. These peptides are involved in signaling and communication between cells, helping to maintain homeostasis and support optimal functioning of different systems. These peptides can have diverse functions, including regulating immune responses, influencing hormone production, and supporting tissue repair. They are naturally occurring in the body, but their levels may decline with age or under certain conditions. It's important to note that while bioregulating peptides have shown promise in certain medical and therapeutic applications, their use and, and efficacy may vary. Always consult with a healthcare professional for personalized advice and information tailored to your specific health needs. Now, that's what the chat GPTs have told me. So I know it's right. And that last sentence there is where what brings us to today. Always consult with a healthcare professional. That's where you come in. For a personalized, for personalized advice, which that's what I seek from you, is personalized advice and information tailored to your specific health needs. And I've got a lot of specific health needs. The, the most primary one that we'll be talking about, and we can talk about any other, uh, any other applications of these peptides, but is for your buddy Jason to not turn 50 biologically. So. With that, was that a pretty good, straightforward definition? Did the chat, does the, did the little, did the little um, minion at ChatGPT that's on the other side of my phone typing that out? Did uh, he get it right? Well, I think he got it uh, in a general way, somewhat right. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, it was a, it was a reasonable, reasonably accurate and vague description, right? Yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah. That's all. But yeah, you know, yeah. you know, doctors, lawyers, and economists. We'll never just say, yep, good answer. Yep, that was right. It's always like, well, I mean, you know, it, it 
ChatGPT tried, but let me just let me fill in the void. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with the what ChatGPT said, and we'll just hang out and talk for the rest of the time. <laughs> well, I I don't think we're going to do that because I do want to dive into it. And so kind of, first of all, when did you start really understanding, like, was it at a conference? And what was it that made you go, okay, these have some therapeutic applications that are really striking. I, I want to learn more. And then kind of how did this become part of what's now your wheelhouse? I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of an OG in this area. You're like one of the early adopters and and uh, of these peptides. What was it that kind of made you just the light bulb go off and go, I need to learn more about this for my patients? Yeah, it's a good story, actually. So it was at a conference, but it wasn't at a conference where I came across somebody repping them at a table. Mm -hmm. or Well, you won't actually find them that way. I was teaching at a conference. I think this was a few years ago. I can't remember the timeline exactly. Obviously, I've worked with various peptides for a long time in my clinical work. And, you know, people really get into peptides. There's whole businesses that revolve around peptides. This is a class of peptides. We're going to talk about it specifically. Um, but that people overestimate what peptides can do for the body, right? So there's a lot of clinics where it's just, let's get your peptides, get them on a peptide protocol, but they're not doing the foundation work we've been teaching people through all these early episodes. And if you start just putting in signaling molecules into your body to try and create a new signal or push your body in a direction and you haven't given it the, found, the foundations of function that are needed for it to, to move in a direction, it's not going to do much for you. And so I had just presented a case at this conference I was teaching. It was a group of like physicians and health coaches, so it was for clinicians. And I taught a case study and it was a, uh, it was, it was a adult onset, it's called latent autoimmune diabetes of the adult. So it's like a, an adult that develops a type one like diabetes phenomena, but it's not as complete as like what happened with your daughter, right? It's not a complete wipeout of the beta cells. There's some residual beta cell function, but it's down to like 3% or 4%. So these are people who go from normal blood glucose and suddenly present a year later and they have blood glucose of 400, hemoglobin A1Cs of 14. And she had gone to an endocrinologist. It had been proposed that she get on insulin. That was the, you know, that was the right therapeutic decision based on what we knew. Um, but she didn't want to do it. So she ended up coming to me and we look at what are called C-peptide levels and insulin levels and other markers and realize, okay, you still have some residual function. And I treated her with an approach to preserving pancreatic function and other peptides that are designed to help the immune system because this is an autoimmune process, much like type one diabetes. And also she had a lot of other challenges in her body in terms of insulin resistance, excess body fat, hormonal, she started becoming menopausal. So it was a beautiful, like comprehensive case where you're like working on all systems of the body. And her data was just amazing. And her A1C went from 14 and a year later it was 5.1 on with this type of diabetes, not on insulin. Now wow. we were using other therapeutics for her that are designed for diabetes, but she wasn't on insulin and nobody thought that was possible. So I presented this case study as just a great example of the precision medicine approach and how all these different tools that we use are critical. You don't just you know use one tool or hammer the body with just this peptide or only think about balancing hormones, you look at it as a whole system. And afterwards, my friend, Nat Nidham, who has a big podcast, uh, who I love and I, I'm very close with, she comes up and gives a talk on bioregulatory peptides. 
And because she's considered one of the experts in the peptide space. And she basically points at me and said, you know, maybe what would have happened had you had her own pancreagen, right? Or the, the actual pancreatic bioregulatory peptide. And as she's talking about them and these, what we call these epigenetic switches and what they're doing, and we're about to talk about that in a moment. I'm just like, whoa, I didn't even know about these peptides, you know? And so afterwards I grab Nat and we go sit down together and jam out for a while about health, but she really closed me in. And I'm like, Nat, how am I going to figure this out? Like, where's, where am I going to find the pro-dosing protocols and the th how you stack them together and the data? And she said, you got to go dig it out of the dirt, right? It's like all buried in there in the literature, but you got to go find it. And it's hard. Um, but then she introduced me to Dr. Bill Lawrence, who is the, one of the co-scientists with Dr. Vladimir Kavinson, who actually discovered all these peptides. And Bill met with me and then Bill got me a copy of Vladimir Kavinson's research. It's a, it's a book that he published. It's available that if, if, if you go try to find it, it's hard to get. It's a couple hundred bucks, but it's just this tiny little book. And in there, he outlines a lot of the data around their protocols that they created. And I started looking through the, at the research at both the focus on we're diversing biological age markers, which is impressive data, which we can show the listeners or viewers some of that data today. But the disease specific, like the tissue specific responses in the retina and in the brain and in the lung with people who actually had conditions, I was blown away. I'm like, I've never seen function restored like this. Like, I know we can stop the damage and we can help tissue repair and maybe we can get a little bit back, but this is like a whole level of restorative signal I haven't seen before. And I was just like, I got to figure out how we're going to introduce these peptides as a backdrop to the work we're doing. And because the unique mechanism which, through which they work, which I'll let you, you know, decide when we want to talk about that, it's just a unique mechanism that we don't have other tools to do that particular job. And if we can get that job done in the background while we're doing the other work we need to do, we can get you know, very different results. All right. So first I want to just to make sure the audience is up to speed. I don't want to take anything for granted. What is, whenever you refer to cell signaling, what is happening? Cause I don't think that a lot of people, they hear that language. So what is cell signaling? It's just cells talking to each other. Okay. Right. It's met, met the messages running through your body so that systems can perform as needed. Okay. So basically it's like, uh, one cell saying, Hey, this is what you need to do now to maintain your proper function or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And there is cell to cell signaling and, but it's really more like tissue signaling okay. Like okay. Tissues and areas of the body and systems of the body that are being regulated. And a lot of it's being orchestrated. Most of it's being orchestrated by the central nervous system. Okay. What causes that signaling to deteriorate? Um, a lot of things can cause the signaling to deteriorate, right? So the body is always, it's brilliant. Right. It's always trying to uh, leverage towards maintaining homeostasis, a stable state with fluctuating, you know, circumstances, both internal and external and survival, like optimization. That's what the body wants. It wants to survive. It's an organism that's programmed to want to survive and potentially thrive if it can. So it's constantly regulating itself according to that basis. How do we like stay afloat? And it has to respond to the information that it has, and we've talked about this before, we're constantly just basically working with the information that's coming in. So let's just say that our, we're, we're nutrient depleted, right? Um, we don't have enough amino acids. Well, that's going to begin to affect the immune system. 
And it's going to affect other systems, but it's really going to affect the immune system, the production of antibodies. And now you end up with areas of the immune system that are in possibly gut integrity at the same time. Gut integrity is not maintained because you have protein insufficiency. Now you end up with the immune system simultaneously getting activated via the gut immune link. And you have this issue with immune system response because of inadequate protein for what it needs to do. And you end up with imbalanced immune system signal. So you can end up with this chronic inflammatory response that the body thinks is necessary, but maybe isn't not necessary and is creating problems. That's just one example. And you get the idea. These are complex pathways. And we don't, I don't want like listeners to feel like, oh my gosh, we're just disappearing in rabbit holes. But anything that causes the body, that deprives the body of what it needs to normally function can start to create signals. Now, at first, distress signals, alarm signals. We need help. But if they can't be addressed, eventually they can just become uh, bad signals, aberrant signals. So would a bad signal be like going back to the case of uh, Abby and a type one diabetic where the, the beta cells get attacked? Is that a signaling issue that, hey, these beta cells are, are bad? Uh, the body, there's a signal there that says, so we have to attack them. Or, and so it basically kills the pancreas. I mean, is that a signaling issue? Is that, does that begin with a signaling issue that, that is taking it place? A, it does in a sense, meaning that the body gets cross-sensitized. So some, some, uh, you know, some immune cells react to some type of antigen, which is a protein from a, a potential invading organism or something foreign to the body that's somehow closely cross-matches uh, to a protein of, uh, that involved in something to do with the beta cells. And then so the immune system begins to see this protein on the surface of the beta cells and it starts attacking them as though they're that attacking pathogen right. and destroy them until right. the point that it might wipe them out. And so that is, it's a faulty attack. Now, also the immune system is supposed to have additional uh, complexity to recognizing when, whoa, 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 wait a second, maybe we, we misunderstood here. Right. You know, and had to do with balance and regulation of the immune system. And so most Autoimmune diseases result for a variety of reasons. We don't understand them all by any means. And I'm being way, 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 way over. I'm way oversimplifying here. I want to be clear. And yeah. you know, this is listening. Please give me grace. But generally speaking, autoimmune diseases happen when you have imbalances in the immune system. You end up simultaneously immunosuppressed and overactive in your immune system okay. due to circumstances that typically start with gut and toxicant and nutrients and the things we've already been covering. Okay. So, and that, that was one of the things that as I've done more research since our conversation way back then, and just to get a better understanding, because, um, uh, I'm probably going to be taking some of these, correct? I mean, is it I, this I would, yeah, I would assume unless we, when we do your epigenetic age kit, when we get that result back, if you're already 35 and you don't need bio rate, <laughs> <laughs> but that most likely not being the case. So, what is the, what are we going to start? What are the signals that we're going to start trying to, to either, I, and, and are we basically um, making a signal clearer that is, that's there, it's just distorted. And so therefore the cells are not talking to each other like they want to say, are we going to restore its function? Well, uh, so. So the bioregulatory peptide is just a very specific type of signal, right? There's a lot of different signals, sure. and peptides and different therapeutics, domestic signal. So I don't want us to get just totally stuck on this signal concept, right? Yep. Like what a bioregulatory peptide is a small peptide, two, three, four amino acids long. So a tiny peptide 
that we actually can eat in food. If we're eating organ meats, we're eating these peptides. Or our bodies also produce themselves in small amounts. And they basically have the ability to cross from the gut into the bloodstream intact if we can eat at them, and, but we could also produce them. They cross the cell membrane in and, and, and their form. They don't get broken apart or anything. And then they cross the nuclear membrane, the nucleus of the cell where all the DNA is stored, highly protective environment, and they engage with the DNA, right? So they actually go and they turn genes on. There we go. It might be turned off, right? So you're going into the DNA and you're turning genes on. In some cases, you may be unmethylating or turning on genes that are, have been off for a long time, that are, you were areas where you've lost function, like proteins you're just not making anymore, that are part of how that tissue performs. And now you're turning it back on, so you end up increasing DNA expression in the target tissue, because there's different peptides for different tissues. So you're increasing the DNA expression in that tissue, and simultaneously from that, you're getting an enhancement in protein synthesis. So ultimately, you're fortifying structure and function. And so that's the signal of a bioregulatory peptide. Let's go turn the DNA on and make proteins in our target tissues. Now, do I ever have to worry about, because I know that my DNA probably has some things that have never, uh, that, that I've never seen. I mean, I've probably got, there, there's probably, they've never been expressed epigenetically, some things I don't want expressed. Do bioregulating peptides ever cause an expression of a gene that I, that's there that, I'm glad it hasn't expressed kind of like, you know, like I, I have the, I have the potential to really be a mean and angry guy, but I've kept it. I've kept yeah. it from you out throughout our entire friendship. And all of a sudden you do something. I go, is, is there that potential? Well, first, I mean, all the different dark DNA, all the, uh, they might be trapped away in you for the small town in Texas. <laughs> I don't even want to get into that. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. There may be some things that are well hidden in my DNA. I do not want expressed, Dr. No, it doesn't okay. work. Okay. Right? Like, not going and taking genes that have never been turned on or never okay. been expressed and turning them on. Right? Okay. Yeah. So that's not the level that it's working yet. So these are really helpful little peptides. They're completely safe, like other than the rare, rare, rare potential for like an allergic reaction to it. Okay. Like there are no known adverse effects to utilizing these peptides whatsoever. Like they're not, they're classified actually by the FDA as nutritional supplements because they come from cattle, right? So they are actually a food. They've just been pulled out of the cattle and hyper-concentrated into capsules. And so that you're getting a, you're getting a macro dose of peptide when you take the little capsule. Okay. Are some of them, no, okay. So that being the case, are there any synthetic uh, peptides? Are they all? Mm -hmm natural okay what like what how, what what which what would be the difference and and if i need to if i'm asking this in a way that we need to do some background before we get to what i'm asking then doc to steer me the right direction but like what are the differences between the ones that are you know natural versus synthetic and why would you choose one over the other okay so like across the whole spectrum of peptides right that are out that are like all these different tiny little they're not really proteins that's why they're called peptides that are chains of amino acids that don't have the number of amino acids necessary to qualify them as a protein, right? There's a lot of different ones that are, you know, have been discovered and are found from different uh, tissue sources. Now, the vast majority of peptides that someone goes and gets through a, you know, clinic, growth hormone, secreted GOGS, PPC-157, they're all synthetic in the sense that they're being synthesized, 
they're, but they're synthetic analogs of natural peptides, things that Got our it. bodies produce. They're with the bioregulators, you do have both options. You have synthetic versions, which are being synthesized in a lab, but you have the natural options, which come out of the St. Petersburg Institute, where they actually raise the cattle up to a year of age and harvest the peptides from the cattle tissue itself. Okay. So in the experience of, you know, from the data, the synthetic versions, one, one, they might be a little less expensive, but you do have to inject them. They're injectable. Well, there's a couple that are sublingual and one's a nasal spray, but mostly they're injectable. Um, but the synthetics might work a little more quickly, but don't seem to have as long lasting of an impact. Whereas the naturals, meaning the ones that are actually harvested from real animal tissue, might take just a little longer to work, depending on what it is you're targeting, but have a more sustainable result. Um, what the, the thoughts behind that are that the natural, you're not just getting the peptide. They're not isolating the peptide only. You're getting other cofactors and proteins and enzymes that probably accompany those peptides in nature that are being delivered into your body alongside those. Okay. If I'm, whenever I'm taking those ancestral supplements, my, my liver capsules or anything, am I, am I getting a delivery you're getting, of peptides? You're probably those? getting a, a tiny microdose of. I mean, and that's something Natalie and I've talked about many times that people who are consuming organ meats or eating rotations of organ meat supplements, like, you know, for me, I do liver pretty consistently, but I rotate heart, bone marrow, thymus, thyroid, kidney, pancreas. I rotate all of those in to my, my regimen because I know that my ancestors ate all those tissues periodically over time. And we are getting different nutrients, enzymes, proteins, and peptides. When we eat those tissues, so I'm just taking them in the capsule form. But yeah, we probably are getting tiny, tiny doses of bioregulatory peptides when we consume those tissues. You know, I wasn't planning on doing this, but for the listener, if they go out to eat pluck and buy some pluck seasoning, they get all five organ meats that you that you've mentioned right there in one blend. And the zesty garlic is my favorite. If they use promo code improve, they get 30% off. So uh so James Barry, you're welcome. I wasn't even planning to do that, but if we're going to talk organ meats, I got to talk about pluck, which is absolutely delicious. Have you tried that yet? I have not tried it. <laughs> you, you got you know, um, James is actually working with our James now. He's actually handling their Amazon store, and it is absolutely delicious. But I got to tell you, listener, if you're if you go out to pluck, and I highly recommend you do. Uh, there's one. Oh my gosh, it's it's the what's it called? The it's just the basic one that's just the uh dried organ meat powder like what you would put into a uh a protein shake or something and um it's not it's, it has like no it's not flavored at all it's not an actual seasoning my buddy jason smith bought some of that and just tried to use it as like seasoning and he's like hey man i think that something this stuff does it is it supposed to smell and taste this bad <laughs> like which one did you get and it was the one that's the uh just the basic, and I wish I could remember the name of it. I need to look that up. Uh, but the zesty garlic is my favorite. So anyway, so there, while we're, so you could actually, I guess, get some uh, some of these peptides in your, your pure, pluck pure, folks. Don't use pluck pure for seasoning. Just put that in your protein shakes or whatever. But the other stuff, the spicy and the zesty garlic are absolutely fantastic on your eggs and everything else that you could eat. So anyway. Thank you for indulging me to make that little plug for, for uh, pluck seasoning, Gus. Oh yeah, any uh, any uh, 
thing that you or James are fans of or friends to, or I'm a fan of and friend to as well. There you go. There you go. All right. So whenever I come out to Asheville and we do my blood work, if this is where I think this is makes sense as a place to go, but again, you steer me to a different direction if we need to. When I come out there, we find out my age is, God forbid, 53 or something. I'm already 50 biologically, even though I'm only 48. Uh, so what do we start targeting? What does the stack look like? What are you, and, and, and kind of what's going to be the protocol to prepare me to make sure that I am to a place where these peptides are actually going to be effective. All, all you know, everything I'm supposed to be asking here, what is that going to look like? Yes. One, it's going to depend a lot on what we see in your gut and toxicant reports, micronutrient reports, et cetera, because you right. asked a really good question. How do I, if I make an investment in bioregulatory peptides, which you're going to, if you do, you're probably going to use like a six-month protocol if we're going to really try to target uh, epigenetic age uh, markers and see if we can get those to really reverse. Then before you make that commitment, you want to know like, hey, is my body ready for this yet? Like, what are the things that are creating an accelerated age signal for me? And so let's get those things fixed and get nutrient fortified. My suspicion is that it's not going to look bad for you. I, I will be curious to see the talks report, given that you just stuck in Tyler, Texas, right? No offense right. to Tyler. I love Tyler. I've visited there twice and I've had nothing but a great experience. I'm not trying to like, you know, suggest it. It's just that, it, you know, there's a lot of toxicity. And sure. And things like that. Um, but, you know, you when we're going to, if we're going to use bioregulatory peptides is one of the things that is part of your overall plan. And we want, and the target of bioregulatory peptides is DNA expression and protein synthesis. Then we better make sure that you have everything needed for protein synthesis in your body. I'm pretty sure you do because you're already using most of the tools we talk about. But nonetheless, it's just pointing back to those episodes where we talked about the primacy of protein and what you need and all that kind of stuff. So just so the listener knows too, bioregulatory peptides are small capsules. They're very easy to take and they're very safe. And essentially they come from cattle, right? Um, and there's, and I can get into this in a moment. And there's decades, almost 50 years now of really good data on what they do and how they do it and what is the result, right? So this isn't just one of those, hey, it looks good in the lab. Maybe it'll do something in people. We've got the studies demonstrating it definitely does. But if, so if we decided, yeah, let's use bioregulatory peptides for Jason, then we're going to, one, we're going to say, okay, were there, was there any signal in the blood work or the gut suggesting we got problems in areas that we might want to improve? Because let's just say, and I don't think we'll see this, but we saw this reduction in pancreatic function and maybe a reduction in digestive stomach function and uh, possibly borderline thyroid labs. Well, when you're going to go ahead and do bioregulatory peptides, then you might as well go ahead and do stomach and pancreas and thyroid along the whole stack and see if you can't stabilize function in those tissues. But if we didn't see any of that, everything was beautiful for Jason Wright. And we all simply saw maybe a telomere length and idea of Horvath clock metric that suggested, hey, oh gosh, this isn't, I'm not hitting my goal. And from an epigenetic age perspective, uh, being under 50, then we'd probably use a stack of what is called the pineal gland peptide, the thymus gland peptide, and the blood vessel peptide. That's the longevity stack. And, okay. and we would pitch you on it for anywhere for 10 to 30 days for the first month. And then you would do 10-day pulses for the next five months. And then every three months, you might do a 10-day pulse. And then we'd follow up and measure epigenetic age markers. Now, I want to be clear. 
I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It just dropped into my email, but I saw that Peter Atia just put out an article on epigenetic age tracking and, you know, question of, hey, is this helpful or is this just like haphazard? And I don't know what his conclusion is, but I'll look forward to reading it because I think he's a good scientist. And, uh, and so you might want to look for that too and read oh, it. Oh yeah, I will. I'm sure I got it. My, my feeling is that right now, based on other interviews I've heard with him, that he's going to err towards, I don't, we just can't say that this is meaningful or not. The actual epigenetic age data of telomere length and Horvath clock. Right? And so that's going to be an ongoing debate, uh, whether or not that's meaningful. The slides I showed you were quite meaningful, right? In terms of yep. the data associated with it. That was very meaningful. Mortality data is very meaningful data. But while these are really niched into the anti-aging, reverse the biological clock, shift your epigenetic age markers, and they do that. They clearly move epigenetic age markers. These things shift, telomere length, all that. And they have a high association, telomere length and DNA methylation with various disease states, right? So there's all these potential associations. They just haven't been proven whether it's meaningful. But they also were studied at recovery of function in diseased tissue. And that had remarkable data as well, right? And so from my perspective, these are a tool in the toolbox that can do a job just none of the other tools really can do that, we, that are complementary to the whole protocol, not a solo shot. Let's just take bioregulatory peptides and see what they do. So, yeah, so I think it's fair to say that like whatever, all, all the past episodes that have led us to this point where I kind of took us to a place where we're kind of at a graduate level when we should probably still be an undergrad, is that you've got to get those foundational things fixed and right just to get the right benchmark to say, okay, so you, you can at least check the boxes of knowing that, okay, there are things here that you can't fix necessarily by just the right molecule, right diet, exercise. There's, there are some, some signaling deficiencies that we're going to take you to now. So it, it's kind of like that, that next level of, okay, you've cleaned house. Now we're ready to sterilize. We're ready to really take it to another level. Is that the right way to look at it, Connor? Yeah, that's absolutely the yeah. right way to look at it. But uh, from the things that are potentially available to the consumers, like consumers can go into Amazon and find these boxes. Yeah. You want to make sure you're getting the real product that comes from the St. Petersburg Institute in Russia. It's the only place producing these peptides. I'm sure there are a lot of scammers out there. Yeah. But if you are, you can go buy them and you can start taking them. But and, and it'd be very safe for most of you to do so. I'm not advising you to do so. You talk to your own medical professional, of course, the usual caveat there. But generally, from what we know, it'd be very safe to do so. And there might be some benefits. But a guy ran into me that actually I do work with at a basketball tournament recently, our sons both play. And he, this is a guy who tends to go rogue and just go buy stuff. And then he shows up and he shows me what he's got. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's like, eh, it could have been better. And he pulls out the, basically the cartilage connective tissue bioregulatory peptide. It's called cartagen, cartilax. And he shows it to me. So it's just a packet. It's Russian. I read the back. I realize, yeah, this is the real stuff. He says, I, my knees were hurting. So my friend said this really helped him. So I got it. And he shared it to me. And I was like, you know what? This is a great bioregulatory peptide to enhance DNA synthesis, DNA expression and cartilage tissue throughout the body, collagen synthesis. But if you're just taking it as a solo capsule and not simultaneously using the blood vessel one to improve blood flow and endothelial fun, you're probably not going to get much of an impact from it, you know? So it was interesting. Like, it was just like knowing that there's a, a, a way to put them together that makes sense of how they're going to work and then understanding the pulse dose phenomena that you use and how to do that. And it's not hard. 
I learned these protocols directly from Bill Lawrence. And once I learned them, I'm like, oh, well, that's not so hard after all. It's pretty simple, actually. But you just got to do that before you, you know, if you willy nilly them, you're probably wasting your money and not getting much of a result. You're probably not going to hurt yourself, but you're probably not getting much of a result. That's one of the things that I, again, I point people back all the time to our episode on molecules, because if you're someone that's just going out there and you're reading articles or you're reading a magazine or you hear about some, you know, you've heard about NAC and the wonders of NAC or whatever, and go out and you buy, you know, a, a, a bottle of that. And that's what you're and You think that's going to be a panacea. It, it really is a cocktail approach on these molecules. And I guess with the the peptides, it's the same thing. You, you just, it's kind of like, I guess, a, a fuel. If you're going to create, you know, a fuel that goes in our car, it's a blend, uh, you know, it's uh, of petrochemicals. It's not just, that's why you, we don't, we don't dump just crude oil, Texas crude into our gas tank. No, there's a refining process and an additive process and getting one thing to work. There is a reactionary process. And that's why I think that if anybody is listening to this, Please, whenever you're, if you're going to do supplementation, if you're going to, you know, enact, if you're, or if you're going to include uh, molecules as part of your protocol, listen to this. And that's one of the things that I, I love about you guys is that this is something you have studied so rigorously. And I think it's kind of, for lack of a better term, your claim to fame is that you, you have these very specific protocols that, in, that these, to, to, to leverage these molecules to the highest and best of their, uh, their value, which I think, and it sounds like the peptides are kind of the same deal. Yeah. Uh, most of my longitudinal patients use, they, they do an initial bioregulatory peptide stack. We always use the pineal, thymus, and blood vessel in that. And then depending on what else we may see where their body needs some support, we might ro rotate other ones in. I'm a big fan of the bone marrow one. It doesn't commonly come up in discussion, but if there's anywhere that we would like to focus on preserving function, talk about your stem cells, which we can cover maybe next week and yeah. go into this as a special topic. Because if you can preserve more of your stem cell tissue, your self-regenerating tissue in your bone marrow by protecting that DNA in that marrow, I'm a huge fan of that one. So I usually have people on that one along with the other three. Then we might add in other areas they need help. And then they do their six-month protocol after that Every three months, they just do a 10-day protocol. And what we do is we always stick with thymus, pineal. Thymus is immune system, okay? Pineal gland, circadian biology, right? The hub of melatonin production, all that. And blood vessel, right? Blood delivery, endothelial function. Three like, big, big pieces of healthy aging. Can you deliver blood, your circadian biological system, and your immune system, right? Like big, big things. So- um, those three and those three have been the stacks that have been in the studies have shown the most movement in these markers. And so I'll have them with those in bone marrow. And then we'll add in over time other, other peptides that they just want to go ahead and say, okay, why don't we run a little gut protocol this, this run? And we'll add pancreas, liver, and stomach to that particular run. And then we might do a, hey, let's do an adrenal thyroid one. And so that's what my patients are doing. They're just kind of touching their system with them every three months, which is what the data suggests you can do once you've kind of loaded and gotten your initial response. Okay. Uh, so now I know that some of these, like you, you use some of these in, in basically for your, your brain patients, right. That have, have had brain trauma and that sort of thing. So, so these can also benefit like actual injury, not just like somebody like me who has the luxury of being able to think about, oh, I'd like to age, you know, slower, but like whenever you deal with 
folks that I know that you've talked about some onset Parkinson's, some other uh, you know, stroke, you know, that sort of thing. Kind of talk about what's going on in in kind of those stacks and the results that you've seen. And then if you want to, we can go into some of that data that you were showing me earlier or wherever you want to take it from there. Yeah, so I think it's critical when it comes to the brain health and preserving cognitive function and recovering from damaged areas of the brain, whether it's concussions, traumatic brain injuries, strokes, or, uh, you know, potentially um, atrophy, like just age-related or different forms of dementia-related atrophy of the brain, which is a huge area of interest because I think it's a big, big problem that's getting a lot worse in the next 15 years. Um, I think what we're about to see is an explosion in dementia diagnosis. I hope I'm wrong about that. And it's going to catch people off guard. We're not ready for it. And why do you think that, Gus? Is it because of the toxicity or of, of our, yeah. of, our, our generational about? epigenetic protection is wearing thin? Okay. And we're spending a longer period of time nutrient depleted and toxic environments with our bodies hamstrung on their ability to preserve and perform. Right. So okay. I think you're going to end up seeing what developed in your 70s, uh, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years ago now happening in your 60s. And I, I just, you know, I just I, I have this feeling this is about what we're about to see happening. And also, you know, I'm seeing people in their 60s who are clearly already have some, you know, brain atrophy and, you know, and you're going to have some brain atrophy. I wanted to clear out, but it's excessive. It's, it's abnormal. Um, atrophy meaning loss of tissue. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, um, so when I designed a protocol for this, I call it the brain protocal um because i'm so creative why'd you get all creative wow man that, that how, how, how do you remember that <laughs> wow yeah. it's an expensive protocol it is expensive because it, it leverages many powerful therapeutics and stacks them in a way and it's meant to be used at high doses for six months because it's designed to hopefully give ourselves our best chance to stabilize a process that maybe regenerate right and i can't prove that that's what's going to happen, but I have a belief that that could happen. And two very, you know, very serious, well-published brain researchers agree with the premise that I've presented to them. They agree that it's possible that this could work. And bioregulatory peptides is, are, is an important part of that protocol, right? Because the protocol is the idea is you clean up system signal using something called a senolytic protocol. And then you, which doesn't take long, and then you begin to activate stem cell, which we'll talk about next week, mobilizing stem cells for tissue repair. While you're doing that, you're simultaneously loading in the peptides that can increase DNA expression protein synthesis in the tissues you're trying to get the stem cells into. Um, and then you're also leveraging many of the nutrient support as well as the plasmalogen support and things of that sort. So that everything's coming together in a way that the brain has its best chance to stabilize neuronal and glial cells, prevent further deterioration, possibly remyelinate, put new myelin on, create new white matter, improve connectivity, who knows, maybe even gray matter. We'll see over time, right, if, whether it works. Subjectively, people feel better for sure. And Let me, let me ask you a question, Gus. I, I've got a question. This may be, I want to know if this is semantic, and I just, I really need to get this straightened out in front of my audience and everybody and I, at the risk of looking really stupid. We hear about re regeneration a lot. Uh, so my understanding of regenerative, uh, other than we're talking about stem cells, that's a, that's a different thing. I'm just talking about like, in this case, are these peptides like for the brain, are we taking, you know me, I have to have some kind of an analogy. I've got an old sp sputtering, spitting engine 
that's covered in dust, covered in muck, that I clean it up, I clean all the valves, I get it, and now it's able to, it, it kind of, it's able to crank back up. I didn't create a new engine. I just made that old nasty engine start to function again. I'm not literally creating a new cell. Like whenever I'm talking about regenerative health, and again, I may be asking this wrong, but I really, this is, I get conflicting messages and it's probably just from my, my dense mind. We're not actually creating anything new. We're making what exists revive and be healthy and actually function at a better level again. Am I right about that? Or are we actually creating a new thing when we regenerate these? Because uh, we can't really just recreate a cell, right? No, we can. It's okay. All the time. Okay. Well, hiding and replicating all of the time. That's how their telomeres get short. Every but what about whenever they, okay. So, okay. So if, so I can literally, I know that they're, they're cell deadening and they're replacing themselves. I can take through, here's, I guess what I mean, take an outside influence and start to increase that regeneration. That, maybe that's a better way to a ask it as opposed to, so, so now I'm, it felt like my dad in his macular degeneration generation, he's no longer reproducing the cells in his central in his, in his eyes, in his retina. Right. But what's happening now, we can actually crank that up again and start to regenerate the cells again. Am I? It, so you are, you're partially right. Okay. There's an aspect of aging where there's just deterioration to the system that we nice. can't get back, right? Okay. That we're not necessarily get back. Okay. And so, you take a liver. A liver is one of the most regenerative tissues we know of. You can cut out part of someone's liver and they'll grow it back, right? And now it's new tissue. That's just, boom, there it is. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Right? But as you progressively damage the liver over time, whether it's alcohol or a virus or anything else, you, you eventually, the inflammation creates scar tissue and you have less and less viable liver tissue. Okay. Right. There's scar tissue, just pure fibrous scar tissue. You're, they're kind of like done, right? It's, it's a protective me mechanism but you can't really do much with just dead scar tissue, right? A dead's not the right word for it, but it's inert, right? And so eventually you get to a point where you don't have enough viable liver tissue to continue to maintain the function and you can't regenerate, no matter how much you regenerate it. Now, okay. the same thing is cell lines are aging. As they're aging out, as the body ages, you have less stem cells available to support regeneration that continues to decline, decline, decline. And you also have uh, cell lines within tissues that are just aging out, becoming senescent and at the end of the rope and you're not resupplying them, right? So there is a process where the body is just rustier, gunkier and more whatever. But the actual thing that's happening throughout our lifetime is regeneration. Our organs are recreating themselves, right? Not all right. of it. The brain is the least amount of doing that is somewhat fixed, but not really fixed. But even skeletal tissue is recreating itself, right? So if we could like do a slow motion like video inside the body of the body over the course of say several years, it'd be, it'd be blow, in my book, it'd be like sure. they went and built the entire thing practically. Okay, so are we going to get to a point, again, my simple non-scientific mind, where we can generate at a, regenerate at a rate, like if you can accelerate the regeneration for me, a 48-year-old, to where that starts to almost, um, because uh, because obviously I was regenerating faster, wasn't I, at 35 than I am at 48. So I can speed up the regeneration and therefore start to really almost reverse the aging process. Is that the kind of crazy stuff, mad science that people are looking at right now? 
And then some of it's like, can you take your tissues when they're younger and clone them? Yeah. Bryo and or like Brian Johnson take his yeah. his kids' blood and, and put, yeah. run it in. It, there's a point to where I hand off to the Lord. On the <laughs> yeah. Our bodies and our yeah. But I also know that he he has the power to change us, yeah. right? Great metamorphosis yeah. and do things for us and heal us. And I've seen it happen. And I've seen miraculous healings on mission trips and things of that sort. And um and so I know that there's a lot of power there for it. So I I believe that um our desire to stay healthy, to stay functional, to experience all the capacities that God has planned for us is a good desire. Right. If it's if it's for the purposes of knowing him and delighting in him and his creation, if it's for the purposes of self-glorification, thumping our chest, look what I can do, thinking more of ourselves than other people or, or thinking less of ourselves than other people, because we're not we have the same capacities. I think that's a terrible thing. Right. Sure. Like, and, and you'd be far better off working on your spiritual health before you go down that pathway, because when you move into this biological optimization uh, area and you start using the tools and you really take advantage of them, you can do some pretty awesome stuff for yourself. Yeah. And you can get caught up in that and it can become a real idol. I know it because I've walked through that myself personally. And I'm like, be really careful with this. Like it's amazing the capacities that we have that, you know, that I'm always thinking about in my clinic. It's a it's a working laboratory of restoring human capacities. That's what I'm focused on, whether it's just a a per, not just a, whether it's a person who's been sick and we want to restore them to normal capacity or it's a pretty awesome person who like, can we find capacities you didn't know existing? That's the work I'm always about. But I want it to be God glorifying, not man glorifying. Right. right. No one can say there's an authority over this stuff. But yeah, I mean, w- this is a better uh, topic for the next week because when we get into stem yeah. cells and bone marrow and self-regeneration, that's that's the tissue that does it for us more than anything else in the human system. It is our stem cells that are our self-regenerating tissue. So what we're trying to do, and a lot of the stuff we talk about, is keep the cells that we have as young and healthy as possible so they're not in need of replacement as frequently. If we could just keep those cells healthy and keep the mitochondria churning at a robust rate, then we're going to keep our cells working longer and thus just basically extending the life of the cell as best as possible and having a healthy, fully functioning cell. That's what you and I are really after. That's exactly right. And then having our bone marrow doing its job of regenerating in areas of real of significant injury and things of that sort. Yeah, you just you just nailed it. Like like we can slow the aging process. We can slow cell turnover by keeping the existing cells healthier, right? Because yep. the cell only has a certain number of replications and then it's done. Right? Yep. And then its life is over. And when we start running out of those cells that can still replicate, we start contracting down. We start approaching death. So we want to keep we want to take care of the current guys, keep them supported. We also want to take care of our bone marrow and know that we can mobilize these stem cells so that we can replenish because the stem cell can become thousands of new cells within a tissue. Yeah. And that goes back to, and I know the audience, I, I harp on this. I get on my soapbox about this more than I probably should. But one of the things that Gus and I always talk about is managing your health at the cellular level is is key. And if all you're, all you're concerned about it is how your, your weight, your body fat percentage, your VO2 max, all those things are great. You know, those are, those are kind of outward expressions of cellular health, but ultimately targeting at the cell level, that is, that's really where it's where, and I say this as someone who is, has just learned as I've gone, 
and and having friends like Gus and others that it's all about Joel Green. That's one of the thing that Joel preaches all the time. It's like this mitochondrial health and and cellular health. That that's really where good, robust health and a slowing of the aging process comes from. So, all right, with that, you want to show some data. Yeah, so back to the bioregulatory peptides again. If we're going to get world peace, we've got to stay on the. We have got if we're going if we're going to be in the pageant where we say I just want world peace for everybody, and bioregulatory peptides are my vehicle for change. Then here we go. Next week we'll share that video about the the regenerating heart. It's so cool. Oh, it's so cool. It's hard for me to to not want to show that already. But yeah, folks, if you listen last if you listen last week. I couldn't share the screen because I was trying new technology. Gus showed this to me before we came on. You stay tuned next week on the Jason Rice Show, Authentic Health Friday, where we're going to show you literally a heart go (laughs) from from dead, done to rejuvenated. It's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so bioregulatory peptides, again, can be synthetic, but mostly natural capsule-based peptides extracted from animals from the tissues and organs that they target that play a what we call a role of, that we call them epigenetic switches. They go in and they turn genes on to enhance protein synthesis in a target tissue, which can restore function and slow aging. And we have a lot of different protocols we can create for possibly dealing with a disease issue like the brain issue that we briefly talked about, where we want to improve and have the brain recover from damage and trauma and not end up with just scar tissue and loss of function. And we can also use them to shift epigenetic age markers, which I believe will end up being clinically meaningful, but we can't say for sure that it's clinically meaningful. I'll be curious what Atia said in that article, which way he went on that. Um, so this is one study. This was the groups of patients. These were elderly people, 60 to 74 is how they classified them, and they called them older people, 75 to 89. What we're looking at is a control group. These are the people who, did their interview, their intervention was just vitamins, multivitamins, and then an administration group. And this group got only the pineal gland peptide, just simply the one that comes from the pineal gland, which is the pineal gland has a lot of functions, but circadian biology is one of its main ones, and it produces melatonin. Not all of the melatonin, the minority of melatonin in the body, but it's, it's the master clock that regulates the other clocks. And it atrophies as we age. And as that atrophy occurs, it's we're older, right? And so that pineal gland is a really important gland. And we studies have shown that with repeated pulses of the pineal gland peptide, you can actually get re, uh, uh, the volume of that gland can get restored, right? So we see that improvement there. And Gus, does would so if I were your assistant and I had someone come in and say they're in their, well, they're in this group, they're 69 years old, maybe 70. And they say, you know, Gus, as I've gotten older, I just don't sleep. I sleep four hours a night. I don't feel like I need any more sleep. I, and, you know, would I, when you were say, well, Jason, as my apprentice, someone who wants to, to work in my practice one day, what would you suggest uh, would be a good uh, protocol? And it, would I be right in saying that, well, I'd say that the pineal gland peptide might be uh, a good one for this older person because this can help their circadian rhythm and help balance their sleep. Would yeah, that be? It'd, it'd be right, but I would go ahead and pit it again because if they're old, their thymus is also at okay. So we we know they've got immunosenescence, so we're going to support immune system, blood flow, and circadian biology. So we'd put them on a fairly aggressive pulse of that 
And then, but we wouldn't stop there. We would also say, okay, what are the other things this person could, could use to sleep better right now? Because okay. that's going to take a while to work if it's going to work, right? Okay. So we, behind the scenes, we're trying to rebuild the system, but then we're also going to work right away. How can we make the system work? You know, feel like, feel like it's working better right now. Got it. So this was people that were age 60 to 74. These they called old people, 75 to 89. This is their initial age. So at the beginning of the study, these people were 69.3 years, plus or minus 2.2. These were around 71. This was a mortality rate study. At eight years, like what percent of these people had died? What was the actual just death rate of these people from any cause, not just from a specific cause? So in this control group, it was 13.6%. Okay. And they started slightly younger than the uh, intervention group. The intervention group who got the peptide their mortality rate eight years out was 8.5%, wow. substantially lower all-cause mortality. And then if you go out to mortality rate at 12 years, this control group was 44.1%. Almost half of them found, found their maker by the end. And the pineal gland peptide group was 22%. Wow. So, I mean, the data right there so <laughs> states very clearly. Yeah, look at the 80-year-old. Right? Yeah. Mortality rate over six years for these 80 year olds, 82%. Now, that's not wow. surprising what we know. But for those who started slightly older in the control group, 45.8%. Wow. Yeah. So, pretty impressive uh, change in mortality. This is really, uh, this is, oh, hold on, let me see. This one here, they had, uh, what they did is they, they did the study. And they looked at, okay, what if we add in the thymus peptide as well, which the thymus is sort of the hub of the immune system. Now, they didn't, unfortunately, do it on the elderly people. So we only have the old people. <laughs> Sorry, old people. <laughs> I didn't choose the way to name. <laughs> but so we have, of course, the same control group uh, here, 80 point years. And we know it was 81.8% mortality in six years. We had the same group that got the pineal and it dropped to 45.8. When they added in the thymus, it dropped to 33.3. Oh my gosh. Let's say 81.8. Yeah. So that's an all-cause mortality study. And then this is really a complicated chart. But what it's going to show you is that these subjects, their telomere length, right? So based on their telomere age, based on telomere length, this is a 57-year-old, a 68-year-old, and a 51-year-old. This is the first date, and this is the next date. And then this is whether they had a medium, higher, medium dosing protocol. Okay. So essentially, um, what the uh, change, what you can see is that this person was 57 with a telomere age of 80. Not good, right? 18th percentile, meaning not good. And then one year later, their telomere age had dropped to 62 while they had aged to 58. So they had an 18-year reduction, which is pretty significant. Yeah. This person had a telomere age of 74 versus 68. So not quite as bad as this person. And then they, um, you know, at, at one year mark, no, yeah, no, not quite a year, 10, 11 months, they had dropped it from 74 to 64. So they had dropped it under actual age and gone from the first percentile to the 56th percentile. And, you know, basically had a cellular age reduction of six years over that period of time. And of course, the later you start, the harder it might be to see the results you'd like to see. And then this person was 51 with the telomere length 56, not too bad, but you know, elevated. 
and they dropped it to 46 on their second test uh, here. So we see that the medium dose protocols did appear to be possibly more effective than the high dose protocol, but it's just a limited data set. You can just see the, the positive shift. So if there was one body of data that's been consistent over decades, uh, well, not decades, but over a long period of time, it's that you can really lengthen telomeres with bioregulatory peptides. Very wow. quickly. Big, big swings. And that's a, uh, let me stop sharing here. And so they, it points back to them, but I think it's really important before we wrap up that the audience understand where did these come from? Like, did they just, did they, Vladimir Kavinson just fall backwards in his lab and find peptides hanging around? No, he was appointed to this job because in the 70s, the uh, Russians, their nuclear submarine technology that they had developed, just like us, their sailors were coming back after deployments or after a certain number of years on those subs with markedly accelerated aging and diseases and cancer. And yes, the Soviets do have a heart. They cared about those sailors and they had two goals. One was, is there anything we can do to help the people who've had these exposures? And is there anything we could do that might be protective of our sailors when they're going out on these vessels with all this exposure and radiation, everything like that? So they appointed this young molecular biologist, MD, PhD, and said, see what you can come up with. And he ultimately identified these peptides and what they did and said, these could be a way of reversing some of this damage, radiation-induced damage in these individuals, like reversing some of the effects it's had on their aging and also could potentially offer other benefits as well. And so they did their studies and you know, he had to, of course, first identify the peptides, sequence the peptides, uh, you know, prove, you know, uh, study their, uh, you know, where do they go in the body? Like, you know, do the labeling and follow them and see that they go to their target tissues, that they can cross cell membranes, that they can cross DNA. So there's an enormous amount of science behind the development of these. And once they, you know, proved all that, that they appeared to be safe, then they started running experiments on their, on their actual people, right? Their sailors, their soldiers, and the data was so good and robust that they, he began identifying more of these peptides in different tissues and saying, well, could that possibly also, could we improve pancreatic function? Can we improve liver function? You know, all these different things. And then they started treating their athletes because their Olympic athletes would have incredible fitness, amazing specimens of people would blow your mind but would be 25 years older based on biological age metrics than they were. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, the stress of becoming an Olympic level athlete, yeah. like you're sequestered, you're training all the time, you're just beating up yeah. your body. It's like a weird life for a human mm -hmm. being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of glory, but you know, with glory often comes sacrifice. Sure. And so they would have these massive swings though in these athletes. So at 30, they're aging out, they're no longer going to compete, but they've got the biological age equivalent of a 50 year old and they'd reverse back to like a 20 year old. And so, you know, and then they were, of course, using, I, I doubt that Vladimir Putin has ever used any of these peptides. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's about yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, you know, hey, they, anyway, I appreciate what the Russians did here. Uh, they're great scientists. A lot of the peptide science that we have has been due to Russian scientists. So this isn't, some people get weird when we talk about Russians and things like that. They've got an incredible group of medical scientists and research scientists, and they've done an enormous amount of work, probably more than anybody else in peptides. And they, they, and he discovered and, and did all this work with these peptides at St. St. Petersburg Institute. Have you looked into or anything on, uh, Jordan Peterson, his diet, you know, he went through a really, really bad he illness. A diet, didn't he? Yeah. And now he eats nothing but red meat and it's, 
and both I think he and his daughter Michaela, who Michaela had had all sorts of problems for like I think aching, like rheumatoid arthritis type symptoms. I don't really know. It's something to that effect. And both of them went on a full meat diet and has completely reversed all of the adverse uh, impacts a, on our health. Yeah, there's, a, there's an enormous t- number of testimonies of people who finally restored their health by going into a healthy whole animal carnivore approach. Hmm. But it makes sense. Um, but there are other people who maybe they need to eat less meat to get their yeah. health back or go on a Mediterranean diet and it's, with this diverse nutrients. And so... I'm very agnostic about the types of diets. I, I, I'm absolutely not agnostic that human homo sapiens are, are meat eaters and we're going to be a lot healthier and live a lot longer if we just ha- accept that we're supposed to eat meat. And that actually, if you're only going to eat one thing on your plate, it should be animal protein and more than anything else for nutrients, for healthy fat, for, you know, I, I'm, so I'm a big fan, right, of making sure you're getting good source animal protein into your diet. But I also think that plants and fiber and carbohydrates and all the, I think they all have helpful roles to play in the human system. Yeah. I just wish, I'd like to know if uh, someone has followed Peter, and it's just the most prominent figure I know of that's done this in his hat. And he did it as kind of a medicinal approach to some serious issues he was having that's seen some benefits. I would like to know if they have, if there's been a correlation to him saying, yeah, you're peptide. Because I don't know if it's all, I don't know if it's organ meats. I don't know what, or if it's just steaks or what he's doing, but I, there's got, I would, there's got to be some correlation between him going from as ill as he was to back to health. And one of the things that he did as, uh, as a way to get himself back healthy was to go on this all meat diet. There's got to be something that's peptide related. And, and to that, I would sometimes think. there could have been something in the plants or grains or what that his body was, was reacting to that had become negative for him. A lot of times when people go carnivore, they just correct protein insufficiency. They finally yeah. correct protein insufficiency and get more fatty acids, not just fatty acids for energy, but essential fatty acids. And that just takes care of it right there. You know? Yeah. So- yeah. I heard of somebody, somebody was on uh, some podcast I was listening to last week and they were talking about how they had been a vegetarian for like 12 years. And when they started eating meat again, it, it, literally made them feel like they were on drugs that it felt so good it might you know it might have been anthony kytus uh the red hot chili peppers i can't remember but it was somebody that they said just the the feeling was just like insane again i'm not advocating to eat meat or whatever and for the vegans and vegetarians out there god bless you i'm not i'm just saying that that i it's just interesting that you hear so many reports of just the dramatic difference in how people feel and that sort of thing and just the the longevity. I will say that uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but Mark Sisson, um, definitely one of the most uh, prominent figures of the paleo world, uh, founder of um, Primal Kitchen and former endurance athlete, uh, looks amazing in his seventies. I think you know he was pretty much um, all keto, all paleo all the time, but now I think he's backed off of it as a way to live longer. But I mean, he's definitely still the cornerstone of his diet is is red meat and high, you know, high quantities of animal protein. But anyway, it's kind of interesting that he changed it up. Peter Tia, you mentioned earlier, he stayed in ketosis for 12 years. Isn't that crazy? Yep. That just, yep. that, that sounds miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, again, I just am like, whatever the body needs. And I think as we restore health, our body will tell us what it needs. I love meat. I think meat is great. 
I just don't need like you. I don't need to eat a lot of food. Right. And I do also think that I need to eat. Um, I mean, personally, I, I believe that my body is healthier if I do mix in some organic, non-GMO vegetables. And I know for a fact, based on my own genetic profile, complex carbohydrates are something really good for my body. My body really runs more efficiently if it has some complex carbohydrate. I'm ketogenic is not the best diet for me, although I'm often ketogenic. Um, and I'm always, I'm always low calorie, but yeah. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, so tubers, sweet potatoes, beets, uh, starchy vegetables that, uh, I mean, they're just good for me and I'm going to have better thyroid function, better testosterone levels and better exercise performance and retain muscle mass better if I include complex carbs in my diet. Um, so you really have to look at the principles and then you have to pay attention to your own body. And you can, or you can also invest in getting the data, get your nutrigenomic profile, get your blood data, get your micronutrient panels and find out what is it that I need to do. And your diet will change just as our ancestors did year to year and season to season, because it's not going to be the same thing always. I've learned that if you provide what the body absolutely has to have, you know, you just go ahead and put it in like we've talked about essential amino acids, essential fatty acids, and key micronutrients, then you get a lot of free health to go do kind of what you want and uh, not yeah. worry about too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, you mentioned sweet potatoes. So Abby, I told you she's like a gourmet chef. She makes these brown buttered sweet potatoes. It's, it's almost like a, uh, I don't even know how to stress, really smooth texture. And dude, oh my gosh, that was the, that was the most amazing thing I ate all of thanksgiving and i i ate with because i had prepared i'd done because i do the things you tell me to gus i had a lot of them and they were so good they were so good probably my favorite thing my favorite thanksgiving dish now is, is abby's brown buttered uh, sweet potatoes so good so, it is good so i do know that um the audience this could have been definitely like a tangent and some of them are like whoa what are these guys talking about we we went into regeneration and we like i want to back up for a moment and just Tell the, the listeners, one, these aren't like really weird, like uh, therapeutics we're talking about. Bioregulatory peptides are nutritional supplements. They are little capsules that you take. They're very safe and they are available to you. And they are, there are p clear potential benefits to using them uh, when uh, there's some thought put behind how you're going to sequence them and use them. And Jason wanted to talk about it because for various reasons, but it does get open up the conversation around all this foundational health stuff again. Like, what is it that you have to do if you want a bioregulatory peptide to work for you? But I do think it's important that you realize that while this might have sounded almost out there in some of the regeneration conversation, it's actually based in reality. Like your bodies are regenerating themselves right now and they can continue to regenerate themselves. And you also have tool, like your body has equipment to actually accelerate and improve that regeneration. And so it's not, it's never too late to say, whoa, okay, the state of my health isn't where I want it. I don't feel good. I, the doctor tells me there's bad things looming. I know a change is hard, but Jason can teach you how to change. He's got all the coursework and everything to the Truvian lab. He can walk you through it and help you change and establish you with communities that are on that same path. And you're ready to do this. Your body will do it for you. It will do it with you. You will experience the transformation. It'll be slow. Plotting work, but the rewards come pretty quick and detectable improvements in energy and just how you feel and mood. And then what you'll experience two or three years from now, just remarkable. You don't have to live with diseases. You can 
Now, eventually, again, the Lord's in the authority over us all. I mean, I believe that. I know some of you may not, but whatever the case, there is a time where he's going to have us deal with various afflictions and challenges. And there's a day where our life will end on this planet. But in the meantime, it won't be due to the fact that you didn't give your body its own chance to do what it could do for you, right? So while it's, these topics sound out there, they're really not. We should all be thinking about these things, but we don't have to go do a bunch of crazy stuff to make it happen. We just have to be aware of these systems and then support them. Did you see Dolly Parton at the uh, Cowboys halftime show? I did. Yes. Crazy, right? It's nuts. And one of the things, you know, Joel Green posted after that, he said, you know, what Dolly showed is that our ideas of aging and how we have to age are going to dramatically change. They are changing, but it, she is, and yes, she's had a lot of cosmetic work done or whatever, but still, you, there's not, no plastic surgeon can do everything that Dolly has, Dolly Parton is able to do to make her, it has been, uh, she is doing some things behind the scenes that none of us will ever see that are causing her to be able to live as well and as healthy as she is at what, I think she's 77. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's so unbelievable. Good. And I do think, man, I, it's not just for vanity. I do think that we are going to be able to, and you're going to kind of be silly not to be thinking about how to age differently, not just taking things. I think this is what we talk about a lot, Gus. It's not, it's more like, like don't just take as a foregone conclusion. Well, I'm old. That's it. I can't do certain things I used to could have. I have to just accept that I'm slowing down. I have to accept that I'm going to have a, a paunch hanging over my belt. I'm just going to have to accept this, accept that. No, there are actual levers you can pull. There are so, some natural therapeutics you can, you can deploy that can be absolute game changers. And it's, I'm just, I'm having a blast learning these things. It's really, it's really fun. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. And we'll have more fun in the days yeah. to come. Well, sounds good. All right. Well, Gus, thank you for letting me take us kind of off on a side road there on these uh, these these peptides. And, and folks, if you have any questions, by all means, uh, just uh, send us a uh, you know, producer at texttitans.com. Or if you go to the website, texttitans.blog, where all these shows are, you can you can hit the contact. It goes directly to my email. If you have any questions for Gus, then I will get those. We would love, we love answering those questions on air. We'll be happy to. And so with that, Gus, home stretch of 2023, brother. And uh I'll uh I appreciate you for joining us. And I appreciate it as well. Don't forget next week, stem cells and regeneration. That's where it's gonna be. It's in that in those you 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 guys are gonna have to watch the YouTube on that because when you see this heart come back to life, it's pretty friggin' awesome. So, all right, brother, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Well, that does it for this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. Thank you.